Genesis 1, verse 26, we start. Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it, rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it, they will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that he had made and it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. Our second reading comes from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 12, verses 28 through through to 34. Uh, That can be found on page 871, if you're following along. So Mark, chapter 12, from verse 28. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked them, Of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbour as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Well said, teacher, the man replied. You are right in saying that God is one and there is no other but him. To love him with all your heart, with all your understanding and with all your strength, and to love your neighbour as yourself, is more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he said to him, You are not far off the kingdom of God. And from then on, no one dared ask him any more questions. This is the word of the Lord. Well, I'm going to start with a confession. That's a bit of a loud one, but it's going to be a confession nonetheless. But I, you know what, as soon as I say it, some of you are going to judge me. But that's all right if it's a safe place. I quite enjoy, if I'm honest overhearing conversations when I'm at a cafe or a train, listening in, what is it that people are speaking about? Look, some of your faces, you're judging me, all right? I mean, some of you, you do this too, right? I'm interested, what is it people are talking about? What is it we're chatting about? When I first moved to Lower North Shore, I remember overhearing conversation with a bunch of Muslim women, and they talked for 20 minutes about sparkling mineral water. 20 minutes! What different brands, different types? I remember hearing conversation between two guys that got quite fierce about burgers, 
and whether beetroot should be on burgers or not. A couple of teenage girls I heard in the train, and they were talking about how their sister had just turned 20, and that was so old. One of them said, no joke, if I've turned 20, that'd be, I'd have a midlife crisis. Right? So anyway, but as I've been listening to people's conversations, I've realised one thing. We talk a lot, a lot, about things that don't really matter. And if you heard my conversations and I overheard your conversations, the same would be the case. And so here at the Bridge Church, we want to have conversations that don't just stay in the shallow end, but go deeper and have conversations that matter. Conversations like, is there meaning to life? This Tuesday, this room was full, just gone, of all sorts of people, skeptics, seekers, Christians, who were having deeper conversations, conversations that matter about the meaning of life. And so we're going to continue that conversation that we started on Tuesday here. And so what we're going to look at, we're going to look at three things when it comes to meaning, meaning in life. Firstly is this, who gives meaning? Secondly, why you mean something and not nothing? And then thirdly, what is the purpose of your life? So let's start with the first one. Who gives meaning? I'm going to start with something that is uncontroversial, right? Presume you'll all agree on it. And then ask a question that is. Here's the uncontroversial statement. It goes like this. Every single person on this planet has dignity and value and worth regardless of being a man or woman, abled or disabled, or the colour of their skin. Uncontroversial. I presume everyone in this room agrees. presume if you ask people in the street, if you agree with that, they would say yes. But here's the controversial question. Why? Why is that true? Why do we all agree on that? How do we know that? Now, I know it's a very scary question to ask because it's very much the foundation of our society. Some people say, well, it's why? The answer is because of the, well, the Universal Declaration of Human Rights. And it says it, right? And I quote, it recognises the inherent dignity of all members of the human family. But Jacques Maritain, who was instrumental in putting the declaration together, says this, and I quote, we agree about the rights, but on the conditions that no one asks us why. I want to ask why. I don't want to just assume I want a stronger answer than, well, just because. It is what it is. Don't you? Now, some say, well, the answer is, we believe this because it's beneficial for society. right? As we treat each other as equal, society will do better, it will flourish. And that's true, right? But we don't really speak like that. When women are treated less than, when someone has made fun of their disability, we don't say, whoa, that's not good for society. We say, what? That's wrong. That shouldn't happen. We're appealing to a universal truth, something that transcends all of us, whether it's beneficial or not. Others say, well, we all agree on it. So that's the strength there. We all agree on this. We all agree, let's say, that racism is wrong, that all people are equal and have meaning. But the question is, if it's all based on if the majority thinks so, then what if the majority don't think so all of a sudden? If our belief is based on popular opinion, you and I know popular opinion can change. What happens when it's not convenient, when it's costly? You just have to look at modern history to see it is very easy to dehumanise people and say all of a sudden you used to mean something but don't anymore. Science can't help the situation. 
Yuval Harari, in the book Sapiens, who's a philosopher historian, says this, and he, he's not a Christian, he says this, belief in the unique worth and rights of human beings has embarrassingly little in common with scientific study of Homo sapiens. Homo sapiens has no natural rights, just as spiders, hyenas, and chimpanzees have no natural rights. Now, don't mishear me, right? A secular person can believe in human rights, can campaign for social justice, can stand up for the equality of women, right? But the question is on what basis? What foundation? I don't know if you know Tom Holland. Uh, not the guy who plays Spider-Man in the Marvel movies, but this Tom Holland. Uh, Tom Holland wrote a book which I've been reading called Dominion, the making, the making of the Western Mind. And in it, he offers some insight, right, that the foundations that we have as a society are not actually secular, self-evident truths, but they're actually based on the Bible. He says this, in the last couple of years, in the 1940s, after... Um, what is it, rear of the horrors of World War II, Eleanor Roosevelt got a number of people from different countries to come together to create the Declaration of Human Rights. But the problem was a lot of these people from other countries didn't hold Christian views. And so Christian thinking had to be concealed, had to be repackaged in non-religious terms in order to be embraced worldwide. And so that's what happened. Secularism is really just Christianity rebranded. So much so, as someone says, that even atheists take Christian beliefs to be self-evident truths. And Tom Holland says this, every, that every human being possesses equal dignity was not remotely a self-evident truth. A Roman, for example, would have laughed at it. The origins of this principle lay not in the French Revolution, not in the Declaration of Independence, nor in Enlightenment, but in the Bible. So, again, friends, I want to just show you in the Bible, particularly one verse that has profoundly influenced the way you and every person in your life thinks. It's the way secular, it's the basis of the way secular Sydney thinks on this. And it's here on the screen, Genesis 1, verse 27. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And in the first chapter of the Bible, God introduces himself as what? A creator, the author of life. So thus he has authority over life. And notice there when he creates humans, right? He says he creates them to reflect him, to be made in his image. And there's no conditions attached. It's not you are made in my image if you do this. You are made in my image if you don't do this. No, no, no. It's conditionless. This is the foundation of why all humans have dignity and value and worth. Why? Because God said so. And no human can undo God's words. See, men and women are equal, not because it's 2022, but because God has declared it. See, black lives matter, not because it's a slogan, no, no, because they matter to God. That everyone is valuable, rather, regardless of their ability or disability, because as Martin Luther King said, there are no gradations in the image of God. Now, you might be thinking, yeah, but James, it's, it does take faith to believe this, right? To believe this truth. And yes, I would agree with you. But then let me ask you, what takes greater faith? To believe that God declared it and to trust that, that everyone has dignity and value and worth because they made the image? Or to say we're just a collection of atoms evolved to survive in a blind and different world, but don't worry, you're special. What takes more faith to believe? What's the bigger jump? 
Why, friends, needs to be asked. It needs to be asked for a foundation that we all appreciate to be strong. As someone said, if you clear away the Christian soil, you won't find a solid secular rock. You will find a sinkhole. Who gives meaning? It's not us. It is God. And he does not take meaning away. So that's the first thing. Who gives meaning? Here's the second thing. Why you mean something and not nothing. See, I have a bit of a reoccurring problem whenever I'm in large crowds. Whether the New Year's Eve fireworks or at a footy game, I know I should be focused on the light display or the match, but I just have this existential crisis where I just look around at all these people and think, who are these people? Where have they come from? Who am I? I mean, I'm just so significant in this sea of people. Does anyone else feel this? Who are all these people, right? And then let alone... That's just with people. Then I just look up at space, right? And space freaks me out for a number of reasons. I mean, partly there's no one out there. So as an extrovert, I, you know, who will I talk to? But the idea of going into space is just like endless. And you just realize how small our little planet is in this massive cosmic universe. Why is it that we mean something and not nothing? We're left with what most people say is, well... The meaning of his life is whatever you make of it. And so we really put the full back into meaningful, and we put full a whole bunch of things, family, job, hobbies, experience, travel, friends. And then you see, my life is meaningful. These are all the things. But I want to suggest that we're going about it all the wrong way. We do not need to find meaning, but rather meaning has come to find us. John 1, verse 14, says this, The word... So the Logos, the the reason for life, God, became flesh and made his dwelling among us. See, friends, you know something is valuable, not only what people say, but what they do. And God not only says, you are made in my image, but I'm actually going to become what I created. That first Christmas where God took on flesh, he became a child in Jesus Christ, born in a manger. He dwelt among us, right? God experienced not only being born, but growing up. He experienced puberty and learning and listening, pain and laughter. He got a job. He was truly one of us. See, why is it that humans matter? Why is it you matter? God became one of us. That's why. But why did he do that? In the last couple of days, as we've been talking about with Her Majesty passing away, it's hit people in various different ways. I feel like a grandma has gone for me. I, know there's a, there's a, I shed a couple of tears on Friday morning. Now, uh, as I was reflecting the fact that she's no longer there. I've had a unique experience uh, with the Queen. Some of you know this, where a number of years ago, 2006, I had the opportunity of meeting Her Majesty. Um, a couple of days ago, I found out there's a photo. So for those who are sceptics, there it is, which I didn't know existed. That was me, 2006, a younger version. I might add. But there was a moment before this moment, right, at Admiralty House. Um, I was asked to present the Commonwealth Mace at a, at a service in St Andrews. And at Admiralty House, there's this moment uh, before this photo is taken where I'm standing there in a room full of very important people, right? And everyone has a name tag, a name badge. It's your name and your title. So to my left was Gough Whitlam, former Prime Minister of Australia. 
to my right, Maurice Yema, Premier. Uh, you know, there's like Chief of Police, you know, emergency personnel. There was Anthony Kalea, former runner-up Australian Idol contest. You know, so there's all sorts of people there um, of various levels of fame. And then there was me, James Galea. You know what's underneath my name? Nothing. Blank. It was just James Galea, blank. And then I remember, I remember John Howard, Prime Minister of the Time, ushering the Queen around, and he's looking at all the name tags to introduce the Queen. And I remember he comes my way, and I clearly look, he looked at my name tag, and I can see on his face, he's thinking, I have no idea who that is, right? <laughs> and then he just ushers the Queen on, but then, no joke, the Queen left his side and walked up to me. Now, I am freaking out in this moment, but here she comes and we begin to talk, to talk about the mace and the day. Now, after that conversation, I had to check my badge a number of times to make sure that it was not misspelt and that was actually someone got an accidental title that I didn't realise. But no, no, it was just James Galea, blank. Why did she come up to me? It was not because I'd done anything, I had no talent, I didn't achieve anything, I had no power, no title. She came up because she wanted to. And friends, I realise that is a very rare occurrence. That is a very, but that experience is what every Christian has experienced when it comes to the King of Kings. That he comes towards you. He crossed the universe to dwell amongst you, to be with you. And it is not because of anything on your badge, so to speak. It is not because of anything you have done or achieved or any talent. He comes towards you because he wants to. He wants to show you a meaning, a value and a worth you will not find anywhere else. He comes to you because he loves you. You and I do not need to find meaning, friends, but meaning has come to find us. But you know, it doesn't even stop there. It gets even more personal. Because you and I know we are not the people we want to be, let alone the people God wants us to be. And our life is full of guilt and shame at the time we have offended God and offended other image bearers that he has made. And even though we've hurt him, this king, King Jesus, while on earth gives up the most precious thing anyone can give, his life. There on the cross, he gave up his life, took on your sin, so that you'd be free and forgiven. I don't know if you know the story of Max. Max was a young boy who built a boat, a little small little dinghy kind of thing made out of wood. He laboured on it, built it, built it, built it day after day, and one day it was finished and ready to be sailed off. As we hopped in the nearby river, and there he is having a great day, taking it out, doesn't sink, that's a win, and he goes around bit by bit. And as the afternoon comes along, he gets tired. It's a hot day, he ties up the boat, falls asleep under a tree. But it didn't tie it up all that well because the boat comes adrift and goes sailing down the river, gone. By the time he wakes up, it's too late. A couple of days later, he's walking down the street and he sees in the shop, the local shop, his boat. It's there, his boat, the one he made. So he runs and drops, hey, 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 that's my boat. And the shopkeeper says, all right, it's yours for 100 bucks. So Max goes back to his place, gets every money, gets all the cash, gets the coins, and comes back with 100 bucks. And he pays for his boat. And he holds onto his boat and says, you are mine twice. First I bought you. So first I made you rather and then I bought you. And friends, when it comes to you and I, Jesus can say the same thing. First I made you. 
and then I bought you, but not with a hundred bucks, with his very own blood. He gave up what was precious so that you would be his twice. Friends, Jesus is saying to us in the gospel, stop creating your own meaning and see how much you mean to me by what I've done. Third and final thing, what's the purpose of your life? What are we meant to do? What's our purpose? What are we supposed to do with the time that we have? Are we for anything? In Mark 12, one of the teachers asked Jesus a question. It says, verse 28, of all the commandments, which is the most important? You know, what's the number one thing you need to do in life? And depending on which culture you come from, the answers would be different. You know, more traditional culture, it might be, you know, you've got to please your parents, provide for your family, honour your ancestors. In our culture, it's very much, you know, do what you want to do. Do whatever makes you happy. But hear what Jesus says, verse 30 of Mark 12. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbour as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. What Jesus is saying there, the purpose of your life is to love. Love God and love others. John Lennon was right when he said, all you need is love. But he was right not because it was just a great song lyric, but because God is love. And God wants you and I to experience what he has been experienced for all eternity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and that is love. So let me just briefly unpack these two commands. What does it mean to love the Lord and love your neighbor? Because it is very easy to misunderstand this. Love the Lord your God. Let me unpack that. Here's the thing, friends. If you find your ultimate purpose in life, in let's say your job, in let's say your spouse, your wealth, your house, your body image, that you find something and that this is the thing that makes me me, This is the thing that I love with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. Here is the problem. Here's what you'll find. Here's what you've experienced. It'll either crush you or you will crush it. Let me experience. If someone's purpose in life is children, then they will place a burden and a pressure on their child that they cannot bury. Some of you know what that's like. And you feel crushed by the weight of the expectation because the mother or the father is saying, I want you to love you with all my soul. And it is a burden you cannot carry. Or you'll be crushed if this is your love. Because if they do things that you don't want them to do or they go away, so too your purpose goes with it. Let me give you another example. If it's career, your job, right? If that is the number one purpose in your life, you will use and crush others to make sure that your career advances, that it is the number one thing in your life. Or if that doesn't happen and it goes or it doesn't turn out the way you want it, you will be crushed and devastated. You and I were created a purpose, just like everything else in this world was created for a purpose. A flute was created for a purpose to make music. You could use it to roast marshmallows, but that would not go well. And you and I were created for a purpose, and that purpose was to love the Lord your God, find your deep satisfaction, your longings, your identity, your meaning, your purpose in Him and Him alone. 
And if that is found in anything else, it will go wrong in your life. But if you love the Lord your God first and see everything else in your life as a gift, ah, then you can thank and God and delight in things. But this love is not just vertical, it's also horizontal. Because notice it says, love your neighbor as yourself. It doesn't say, love yourself. No, there's a presumption you're going to be good at that, right? Love your neighbor in the ways that you want to be loved, right? Because you're going to naturally love yourself, so love your neighbor the way that you naturally do it. Jesus is saying, if you want to live a purposeful life, it is not about you, but it is about showing love to others. Helping, serving, building up, blessing, empowered, being generous, thankful, encouraging. And you think about it, right? You think about the people in your life who have a real joy, a real happiness, that they're lovely to be around. It's probably because they're living out this command, that they're not fixated on themselves but others. They have tapped into and experiencing the purpose of life. That is not about me, it is about others. And you know what's liberating about this purpose? It is open to everyone. Regardless of your pay packet, your ability or talents, where you live, what you've experienced, whether you own a house, whether you're single or married, whether you're young or old, your cultural background, this purpose is for all. That everyone and anyone can live a purposeful life. The question is, Are you listening to the one who created life? Are you listening to the purpose that God has given us? That your purpose is not found in anything but to love God and to love others. And if you do that, friends, you'll be mounted with not only a purposeful life but a mountain of joy. Let me end by talking about a TED Talk that I saw recently. The guy, Matthew O'Reilly, who was a retired paramedic who, as an ambulance driver, who's always first on the scenes and ex- experienced a number, a number of times, times when he'd go to a horrific scene and it would be the end of life for a number of people. And he explained how he had a number of conversations with people who knew they were dying, trapped between two cars or whatever it might be, and he would have conversations with them. And he shares that regardless of religious belief, Regardless whether an atheist or a Christian or a Muslim, regardless of whatever cultural background, there were always three conversations that came up in that moment. The first was, will I be forgiven? Well, I called it sins or regrets. There was a deep need of, will I be forgiven for the things I've done wrong? The second conversation was about being remembered Will you remember me? Did my life matter? And the third was, did my life have meaning? You notice there's no conversations about mineral water or burgers. These are conversations that matter. And the truth is, friends, all of them, the answer is Jesus Christ, who forgives, who remembers, who gives you a meaning. Friends, you and I do not need to find meaning, purpose of hope, but rather it finds us in Jesus. That is a meaningful life. Let's pray. Gracious Lord, we so long to use the life and the time that we have well. And so we look around for things 
all sorts of things, Lord, to remind us that we're here for a reason, that life has meaning, that we're not an accident, that we're needed, valued, whatever it may be, Lord. But we know that everything will come up short. Everything will disappoint. Everything will last for a moment, but it will quickly fade unless we look to you, Lord Jesus, that we do not have to find meaning, but rather you found us. We thank you for this beautiful truth, Lord, that in the end, the answer to that question, is there meaning to life, is a big yes from your lips. We praise you, Lord. Amen.